0: Well, Happy New Year, everybody. It is so good to see you. You look great. 2015 treating you all well. Well, uh, I'm really excited to be here. As you can tell from the programming, t- today's going to be a little bit different uh, than your typical rah-rah 2015, here's 10 steps to have a better year talk. Uh, we're, we're, the titles of the talk is Life Unexpected, and so we're going to hit on that and what to do. I want to answer some big questions today, but I did do some Google research on New Year's resolutions, and I thought I'd share one because it's just because it's funny. Askmen.com, I don't frequent that website, just as a disclaimer, uh, disclaimer. but I googled top 10 New Year's resolutions of all time, and askmen.com had one specifically for men, and I was like, okay, let's see what we're up to. So I read, and I was like, okay, it's typical, like, you know, get in better shape, you know, Get more hair, you know, just like things like that that you would expect from men. I don't know. But one of them shocked me. It was ridiculous. It said, build a shelf. (laughs) Men everywhere setting the bar high in the new year. This year I want to build a shelf. Just go to Ikea, buy one, check that off the list. You're good. Now, in all honesty, it's fun to talk about that, but I do want to talk about some bigger questions, some some questions that I think some of us think about, but hardly we ever talk about in a large setting like this. What do you do when the unexpected happens, when your year is going great, and then something happens where it alters everything? What do you do when you don't know what to do? It's a good question to ask, and I think this time of year is a perfect time to ask it. There's a lot of promises in Scripture that we cling to in what I call coffee cup verses. We have inspiration from them and hope and peace. And honestly, like, it's fun to do that, and it's helpful to do that. But verses that are not so much inspirational, we kind of look over. We glaze over them because we're like, ah, this is not for an hour and I'll get to that later. One of them is John 16, verse 33. John 16, 33. It says this. This is Jesus talking I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Well, Jesus, why do we need peace in you? Well, here on earth, you will have many, everyone say many, trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You will have many trials and sorrows. Happy 2015. See you later. (laughs) No, seriously, like that's, I mean, talk about encouraging, not so much many trials and sorrows and here's why we don't like that verse because we have believed a lie i think that has infiltrated christianity and the lie is this that when you submit to jesus when you go all into christ and you're submitted you trust jesus you trust god that life will be just honky dory you will frolic in fields of green pastures roses will be on either side of you and you will smile all the time That's the lie, and I think a lot of people buy into the lie. That's dangerous ground to walk on, because the reality is storms come in life. Trials will enter your life. It's just a fact. It's par for the course if you've lived long enough. 2014 for me was, was set to be a great year. Uh, truly was. I was, I, I was working here at a great job. I work with the middle school students, and they're just fun squirrels to chase around, and it's just great I have a great volunteer team. Life was great. I signed up for my second marathon. Uh, I was engaged to be married, which happened, by the way. Bling, bling. Thank you. It was going to be a great 2014. And then May 8 happened. I want to share a little bit of my story with you. Uh, it'll get personal, but we're friends, so it's cool. May 8, I had a urology appointment scheduled. If you're over 50 as a guy, you're wondering, you're 30, bro. Why do you have a urology appointment scheduled? I was wondering the same thing. My primary care had felt something, and he's like, you should get that checked out. So 11 a.m. on, on May 8, Thursday, I go in. I tell my boss here, hey, I'm just going to do this appointment real quick and get this over with. Grab lunch. I'll be back after lunch. He's like, cool. See you soon. Uh, it took all of three and a half seconds for the for the, uh, the urologist to say, "This this doesn't. Feel good. So he rushed me to do all the tests he needed and all the blood work that he needed. A few hours later, after all that was done, I was in his office and he hands me articles. And he says, you have testicular cancer. You can imagine, like, hey, I'll be back after lunch. Turns into four or five hours in front of the doctor with tests and results. And my uncle's a urologist, so I called him, got a second opinion. He looked at everything and he said, yeah yeah you need to get that out right away so that night 9pm on May 8th after about 10 hours of dealing with everything I had emergency surgery to remove my left testicle and you know surgery went as well as surgery goes I leaned a little to the right after that but it was fine (laughs) you gotta add humor in this come on so surgery went okay I was home recovering, and our prayers at that point were very bold, very specific. A lot of times with, with cancer, if you take out the source tumor, you've taken it out, you've solved the problem. And so we were praying for that specifically, and found out through further CT scans on May 13th that it had not only spread to my lymph nodes up in my left abdomen, it had gotten to my lungs, and probably seven or eight spots in my lungs. They weren't, they weren't big, they were small, but... When you talk about cancer, nothing is big or small. It's just scary. And so uh, that started the whirlwind of what are my treatment options? What about kids in the future? I was, was going to get married in 90 days, and here I was to tell my fiance, who I told I would love and protect and serve and honor for the rest of my life. Hey, I have a disease. So we had a lot of decisions to make. A lot of things were uncertain it was a big storm in my life. Ninety days before my wedding, I was diagnosed with cancer. It was supposed to be three months of joy and obviously stress planning a wedding, but it was, it was hijacked with, with chemo and losing my hair and wondering if I'll have eyebrows for my wedding and wondering if I would be able to stand up for my wedding and what, like wondering all these things that you know a person shouldn't have to wonder three months before their wedding. Well, the wedding happened, the chemo happened, everything went as planned. And uh, we were praying, obviously after the wedding, that the chemo did its job. That cancer was gone. And yet again, the the prayers weren't answered exactly how we would have them answered. And found out there was still some enlarged lymph nodes in my abdomen, the left side of my abdomen. Well, in testicular cancer world, it usually means, not all the time, Usually means there's there's still something something there something left, and the treatment path would call for surgery, major surgery. So we decided to go that route. And November 10th, just about two months ago, uh, before the holidays, I underwent surgery. had a I have a nice eight or nine inch good incision scar on my stomach where they went in and took out all the lymph nodes. Recovery's gone well, and the good news is, as far as I know, the cancer cells they found were dead. And there is no more cancer in my body. So this is, this is good. Thank you. We're hopeful. We're hopeful. No one plans to walk into the doctors and hear you have cancer. And I don't know if you've identified with that. Many people I've talked to. I've, one thing I've learned is the cancer world is, is big. A lot of people are affected by this disease. No matter what area of the body it is decides to attack. A lot of people are affected. But storms in life will come. Trials will present themselves. And whether it's cancer or something else, storms come in all shapes and sizes. And I just wrote down a few examples of what your storm could be. This is not a comprehensive list, but your storm is something. Maybe you're a teenager and you just, you can't relate to anybody. You think no one understands you and that's your storm. Maybe it's a divorce in the family. And holidays are just different now. Potentially awkward. Maybe it's a death in the family. And to be quite honest, that storm is a new reality. If storms like that don't necessarily end. That person doesn't come back and the storm is over. It's a new reality for some people around the holidays and onward. Maybe your storm is a failed business. You had high hopes for something and you dreamt big dreams and all of a sudden it just went south. Maybe it's uh, uncertainty in your career, and family, loss of a job, aging parents. Maybe you're a parent of a teenager who's rebelled and you just don't know what to do. Maybe you're the teenager and like I said, you think nobody understands you. Whatever it is, storms in life will come. It's par for the course if you've lived long enough. How we handle the storm makes all the difference for how we walk out of the storm. And it it doesn't just make a difference for you who are going through the storm. It makes a difference for those around you. Here's what I found. I was diagnosed with cancer, but my family went through cancer. It's a community thing when you're entering into a storm. It doesn't just affect you, it affects everybody. And not the least of which, my fiance. We went through the storm together, who is now my wife. Storms affect every single buddy. So, how you go through it will determine how you walk out of it, how you handle the storm makes a big difference. And so that led me to ask the question, okay, what's the difference between people who handle it well and people who don't handle it well? What's the big difference? And so I started looking at examples in our, in our time, in our uh, livelihood, in our world of, of people who handled storms well and people who handled storms poorly. And I found, I think, some, some poignant examples. The first one is Horatio Spafford. If you know that name, you know he's the guy who wrote the song it is well. It's, it's a common worship song in the church world. Uh, but if you don't know his story, his story is he's a, sh- a successful Chicago lawyer in the late 1800s, has five kids, loses one to sickness. His only son loses to sickness. His Chicago business and all his assets get wiped out in the Chicago fire. He has virtually nothing left. In an effort to go on vacation and get a sense of normalcy and kind of regroup with his family. He, he sends his four daughters and wife to Europe on a boat and says, I'll, I'll catch up with you later in a week or two. I have to handle some things here in Chicago. That boat collides with another boat and sinks. The four daughters die. His wife sends a message back to him saying, the boat went down, I'm the only survivor. And on his way, he gets on the boat, and on his way to be with his grieving wife, he pens these words and the story goes he's he's almost over the point where the other boat went down and his daughter's had died. He pens these words when peace like a river attendeth my way. You picture a calm river, life is going well. Or when sorrows like sea billows roll. If you could just mentally picture him looking out into the sea and just seeing waves. No land in sight, just waves and him thinking that's that's my heart right now that's my soul it's just wave after wave of grief of sorrow when sorrows like sea billows roll and then he says whatever my lot you've taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul wow talk about powerful words for a man who just lost a lot what empowers somebody to, to do that? What makes somebody respond like that? And then there's, there's negative examples, poor examples. I was sent um, a blog, a New York Times blog post from 2009 about uh, who listed billionaires who lost tons in 2008. I mean, millions upon millions, and in some cases, billions of dollars. And, it, I mean, it was... Tears welled up in my eyes as I, re- as I read it because one by one, those who lost money, who had a financial storm, all committed suicide. And you have to ask yourself the question, what, what's the difference? One man goes through something terrible, writes lyrics that are still sung in churches today, and, what, and another man goes through something terrible and handles it a totally different way. And then I want you to think of your own life. Where are you in this storm process? And how will you handle the storm? We did a middle school series down in our underground. And I taught the middle schoolers that there is three stages of of storms. The series was called Wounded. Three three stages of storms. One, you're either walking into it. And the storm could be ten years down the road. But it's coming. It's just life. The storm will come. Two... You're in it. You're literally on a boat and the waves are tossing you every which way. Or three, you're walking out of it. You're in one of those three categories. And so where are you in those categories? And how will you handle it when it comes? Because how you handle it will make all the difference. I want to look at three biblical examples. Three examples in the Bible that people went through crazy storms. And I want to see how they responded. The first one is Job. Job's story is found in his book entitled Job. Super creative in the Old Testament with your titles. Job is a guy that had, uh, I mean, he had a lot. He had everything. He had a, a loving family. Very wealthy when it came to barns and cattle and everything. Um, a, lot of work, a lot of people worked for him. He was, he was well off. And then in a matter of days... A massive storm, a life storm came and his, his kids all died. His assets and everything he owned was wiped away or, or stolen by foreigners who came and stole it. He developed a skin disease so bad that he was getting uh, broken jars of clay to rub off the skin to get some relief. This guy was in a life storm to be sure. He had lost virtually everything, but he had his wife, his, his loving, supporting wife, who told him, curse God and die. What a cheery gal, right? She's someone that you want near you when you have a storm of life. Curse God and die. After all of that, in a matter of days, he was able to say these words recorded in Job 1 verse 21. It says this, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. What enables someone to have such strength, inner strength, and such trust in God to say, you know what? God, you're better. It's okay. It is well with my soul. Joseph is our next example. Joseph He went through trials, and it started mainly because of his ego. He was an ego-driven teenager. And his brothers were sick of it, so they sold him into slavery, as you know the story. And he went from valley to mountaintop because he had integrity, and then valley again to mountaintop, and valley to mountaintop. Time and time again, storm after storm after storm. He was thrown into prison for something he did not do. His life. If Job had a few days of storms, Joseph's life was littered with storms. Just one after the other after the other. And then at the end, when presented with his brothers, the guys who started the storm train, he could have had the power to get rid of them. He had the power to get rid of them because of his position. And He says these words in Genesis 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me. If you have your Bible and you're inclined to write in it, just write the word duh. (laughs) You intended to harm me. Yeah. Uh, But God intended it all, circle the word all, for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. It's powerful words from a man who spent most of his life in a storm. Very powerful words. And then lastly, we're going to read a story in Mark chapter 4. I love this story. It's, it's a story of, of a physical storm. These disciples are on a lake. And so let's read this together. It's a big portion of scripture, so follow along on the screens. Here we go. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. That's important. Do not forget that. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of a boat with his head on a cushion. I love the way Mark writes. I mean, Mark just left out one final detail about how the cushion was embroidered with like a fun verse. Like, Jesus was sleeping on a cushion. Oh. He paints that picture. You got to read the Bible this way. It's just fun this way. The disciples woke him up shouting. This was not, breakfast is ready, Jesus. This was a a shriek. This was a, we're about to die, shout. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. You would be too if a guy talked to the wind and it stopped. Just be honest with each other. You'd be freaking out. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now go back to verse 35 on the screens. This is what I want to to talk about just real quick. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Jesus had no intention of sinking that day. He had every intention on getting to the other side. And if the disciples would have only remembered those words, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake, they would have realized this storm is not going to take us out. Jesus said we're going to the other side. And logic says if I'm with Jesus, I'm going to go to the other side of the lake. I wonder in our lives if we would only remember the words of Jesus during our storms. How would we react differently? Would we freak out as we often do? Or would we be more calm? I just wonder. The disciples freaked out. And if they would have only remembered that. It's a perspective change. See, we look at just this little this little square of our life. And if you can picture a big picture and then zoom in really close, have you seen this? And it's pixelated, it's very fuzzy, you can't make out, you, you couldn't even guess what the full picture is from this little tiny square. That's our life. We're zoomed in so much that we can't see the whole picture. And God says, if you only just would zoom out, I got this. I know what the picture, I know beginning to end. See, it's one thing to knock on the disciples. I, I actually like knocking on the disciples because they seem like knuckleheads in the Bible. But, but that's only because they didn't have Mark chapter 30, or four, verses 35 through 41. We have the whole story. They don't have the verses 35, oh, well, it says in 35, oh, look at verse 41, we're fine. Why are we freaking out? It doesn't say, no, they were living, like they knew a guy named Mark. They didn't have the book of Mark. <laughs> they didn't have the whole story, so it's easy for us to be like, ah, oh, you idiots, come on, get it right. But I wonder how often God's like, come on, just, just calm down. I, I have the whole picture in mind. I know the end of the story. If you would just trust me. It's all about perspective. It truly is. It's all about how we view our trials and who we trust during our trials. I want to talk about some incorrect views of trials. You see, trials were never meant to be a wall that we run up against and fall over and die. Like It was never meant to be that way. Trials were meant to be a window that we see the world through and we make decisions about. And so let's talk about some incorrect views of trials, And what I want you to do while I'm doing this is I want you to find yourself in one of them. I'll be quite honest about which one was was my deal during the, the cancer journey, but I want you to find yours. The first incorrect view of a, of a storm, of a trial, of, of a time where you just don't know what to do and you're looking up to the sky is, is God is mad at you. That somehow God... Is this big guy in the sky, and he, he has a big baseball bat or whatever they have up there, Slugger 2000 or something, and, and he's just waiting for you to mess up. And so when you mess up, he's going to send you that storm that he's been waiting to send you because he's mad and he's angry, and he's the God who gets vengeance on people who just don't do what he says and don't do what he does. God is angry with you. If you, if you view your storm as God is mad at you, that's going to shape everything that you see when you look at life. If God is angry, that's going to affect every area of your life. And it all starts with how you view your storm. The second incorrect view is God has abandoned you. God has abandoned you. At one point, he might have been near. At one point, he might have been close, but he's, he's gone. He went to lunch. He went to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, because that's gonna be in heaven, I guarantee you that. <laughs> he's gone. He's abandoned you. He's nowhere to be found. And I think uh, a belief that drives that is that God's not powerful enough. Because let's just be honest, if he was powerful enough, he would stick with you. But if he's not powerful, then something comes your way that he can't handle he's gone there's a lot that goes into these, these lies, these incorrect views maybe you fall into this God has abandoned you trap when you go through something that you can't handle or you don't know what to do this last one is a, is a question why me why me why now I, this was mine, the, the, uh, th- uh, that was mine, 90 days before my wedding, a woman who I promised to love, serve, and protect, I shared the, the news that I was, had cancer, she was at work, and I had to call her, and I was like, why? God, why? God, I teach the Bible for a living. I teach it to middle school students, middle school students, come on. Why me? I got caught up in that virtually all day on May 8th. I was caught up on that question. I couldn't, couldn't wrap my head around this, 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 this reality, this new storm that I was walking into. I couldn't do it. Why me? I want to look at now the correct views. Because wherever you find yourself, maybe you think God is mad at you. Perhaps you think God has abandoned you. Or maybe you're like me and you ask the question, why me? Why now? One of the questions I asked in all honesty was, God, if you're all powerful, take this away. If you're truly all powerful God... Take this away. Let this be just a bad dream. But if you go down these roads, they do not lead to positive things. And so what I want to do now is talk about the correct views of how to view a trial. The view is that if you, if you hold on to these, they will truly be a guide for when you go through a storm. The first one, the first view, is that God is forming... And shaping you. I'm just going to write form. James 1 talks very clearly about how we are to view our trials. It says that we are to view them with pure joy. We are to count them as, as joyful. Well, why would James ask us to do that? Well, he explains in chapter 1. He says, look, they're going to develop perseverance and character and, and greater faith. And greater tr- trust in God. When you face a storm, God doesn't cause storms. When you face a storm, just because it's par for the course in life, know that you are being formed and shaped into who God wants you to be. That God is literally able to use a storm to form you. Second thing. The second correct view is that God is near and involved. We're just going to write near. Not only is he forming you and shaping you, that But he is literally so close to you. My verse through chemo is Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10 says that don't uh, don't be afraid for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I could have chosen a lot of verses to cling to you, but that spoke to me that God is not distant. He is He is close enough to hold me up. He is close enough to carry me. Psalm 23 paints a picture of us going through a valley. And he says, Even though I walk through the valley, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they guide me. If you know anything about shepherds, they have to be close in order to guide, they have to be near. And so not only is God forming you, shaping you, but he is close. He is near. And then last one. God is creating purpose through that storm. God is creating a purpose in your storm. And can I be honest again? This one, this last one, it's not easily seen when you're in the trial. Most likely you will not see this right away may take months may take years but this this takes faith that god is is working together to create good to create a purpose this was joseph's life storm after storm after storm after storm and at the end of it all he was able to say it's okay you intended it for harm but god intended it all for good for the saving of many lives it's purpose god will use your storm for a purpose but all of those 3 really mean nothing if it's not enveloped in something even greater and I'm going to attempt to draw. So bear with me. God's love. Oh dear, here we go, yeah. (laughs) Hey, don't judge. We're in church, don't judge. God's love. If we're not viewing our trials through God's love, and we aren't viewing our trials correctly. And so if we ever have hope to go through a trial and come out of it with greater perseverance and greater strength, we literally need to elevate this view over any negative view that we could ever have. And we need to say, God, yes, I'm going through a storm, but I'm seeing it through the view of your love that you're forming me and shaping me. You're near and you're creating a purpose through this storm that I may not know in the moment, but I know it's there. That's how we should view our storms. He's forming us. He's shaping us. He's near. And he's creating a purpose. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give you four practical application points. I mean, so practical, you might think some of them are too simple. But if you put them into practice, you'll be glad you did. Number one, be realistic about your storm. Be realistic about your storm. It does does no one any good for you to fake it. If I were to walk around and, and, and say, hey, everything's great, everything's fine, you were diagnosed with cancer, that's yeah, fine. That would be one false and they would know it's false and I would, I would, it, it, it would help nobody. Use your storm as an opportunity for people to pray for you. It builds their faith in prayer and it builds you up. When I was diagnosed and found out I needed all the treatment, I called the church Talked to some staff, got some elders together, we prayed. Bible says to pray, we, we prayed. We prayed big prayers, like, like God, don't, don't take me just yet. I got stuff to do. Don't take me just yet. So be realistic about your storm. The night before chemo started, I was with my best friend, and I was brutally honest with him. And I said, look, I, I mean, I'm not afraid of death, but I don't want to die. He's like, I get it. You got a life to live. You got a marriage to walk into. Be realistic about your storms. Number two, speak truth over your storm. Speak truth over your storm. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. We capture rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. I love that picture. I love that picture. It's like it's like you're catching a fly. The rebellious thought, you catch it and you say, have you met my Savior? Here's Jesus. And you give that to Jesus and you say, you can handle that. And then you transform it. The negative thoughts were plenty. The why me? They came like a bag of bricks. But one of the greatest gifts I got when I was diagnosed was um, a a, a packet, a 12-page packet of just scriptures. One right after the other. 12 pages of, of scripture verses. This from one of our staff members here. I remember one night, uh, very clearly in my mind, it was when chemo had compounded, and if you know anything about that, it doesn't start as bad as some, some types of chemo, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. It's when it was pretty bad, and everything was hurting. I was sick to my stomach. I couldn't sleep. I was laying in bed, trying to sleep, crying, tears falling down my, my cheeks, and I just was flipping through the scriptures. Just one by one, being comforted by Scripture. That's all I could do. You need to, you need to speak truth over your storm, whatever it is. You need to find a, a few key verses and say, No, no, this is my reality. God is faithful. He won't leave me. So, one, be realistic about your storm. Two, speak truth over your storm. And three, trust God in the storm. Trust God in the storm. I love the disciples. Even though we dog on them and we have fun calling them knuckleheads and everything. They did run to Jesus after all. They were in a storm and they ran to the guy who could do something about it. That's a good thing to do in a storm. Trust God in the storm. Check out Hebrews 12:2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Some versions say he's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. And so we can trust God in the storm because the God who is over the storm and in control is the one who started something in you and will finish it. He initiated it and he's going to perfect it. He's not going to leave you hanging. And so you can trust God in the storm. Whatever you're going through, he is faithful. He will stick with you because he's a finisher. He's a perfecter. And he is forming and shaping you into who he wants you to be. And sometimes he uses storms to do that. Number four, praise God when you walk out of the storm. So be realistic about your storm, speak truth over your storm, trust God in the storm, and then praise God when you walk out of the storm. Our job is to give God credit when he has allowed us to walk out of the storm. As believers, it's what we do. It's, it's who we are. We, we're traffic cops. We point people to Jesus. I think this answers the why me question. I really do. Another honest moment. I, I told you I, I really struggled with the why me thing. The day had gone, it was 9, 9.30 at night on May 8th. And I was about to be rolled into the surgery that would start this entire cancer journey. And I had wrestled with the why me. And by God's grace and God's strength alone, I was, a, I was able to tell my family, my fiancé at the time, and my small group. I was like, guys, why not me? Why not me? If it's true that storms are a part of life, and if it's true that God uses your, your and my storm... For our good and his glory. If all that is true, why wouldn't God trust believers with storms? It makes sense. Why wouldn't he trust believers with storms? Your coworker might need to know what it looks like to go through something and still have peace. Your family member might need to know what it looks like to go through something and still have strength. Why wouldn't God trust his people with storms? I teach 300 middle school students every single weekend down in our underground. They are going through storms every second of every day. And once puberty hits, it's magnified. You've been there. Storms are a part of life. And so why wouldn't God set an example in front of them, a teacher in front of them saying, look, I've been through stuff, and God is still faithful. God is still good. You can trust him. It makes sense. Why wouldn't God trust you with a storm? We're about to sing a song. And the song, I think, sums this up perfectly. God loves you way too much to let you off the hook. God loves you way too much to give you anything less than his blessing than his love and than what he has for you and so as, as this song is sung and I, I want you to think about that and then I'll be back up to wrap things up let's listen God will use your storm whatever it is big or small he will use it it's a matter of trust as I said in the beginning storms are a part of life It doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. You will enter a storm. The question is, do you trust God enough? Do you trust the love of God enough to lean on him completely? If you're not a Christian, are you ready to trust the God who commands the wind and the waves? He's the one who's in control. Are you ready to trust him? If you are a believer in Jesus, are you ready to submit to him so he can form you, shape you. He can show himself near to you and he can create purpose within the storm. I wanna pray as we close our service today. But I wanna know who I'm praying for. So in a minute, we'll bow our heads and close our eyes. But if you're going through a storm, I want you to just, just raise your hand when I ask. And so could you bow your heads? Could you close your eyes? All across the auditorium. And if you are in a storm and you genuinely want to enter it and to view it through the lens of God's love, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I want to do this the right way. Awesome. Thanks so much. You can put your hands down. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the honesty in this room. Thank you that you are here Thank you that you see what we're going through. You are intimately involved with our lives. God, thank you so much for, for the storms. And I ask, I, I, God, I beg that you would use the storms that, that are represented in this room, that you would form us, you would shape us, you would give us the strength to view them correctly through your love. with the head still bowed as we continue praying, if you're here and you're not a Christian, but you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, you're ready to connect yourself with him who commands the wind and the waves, would you just silently in your heart pray this prayer? Just say, God, I, I wanna give my life to you. I've tried handling storms on my own and it hasn't worked. And so God, I just submit to you I know by doing that, it's not going to be all green pastures and roses, but God, if I'm going to go through storms, I want to go through them with you. And so take my life. I submit it to you. I trust you. I have faith that you are who you say you are. God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I pray this in your name. Amen. If you prayed any prayer, whether it's To strengthen yourself during a storm, or perhaps to accept Jesus for the first time, we want to know about it. You have a program that has a tear off in it. Fill out the information, get it to us by putting it in the brown boxes on your way out or giving it to guest services. If you're watching online, hit the What Next button. We'll do the same thing for you. We want to follow up with you, we want to pray with you, we want to celebrate with you. Guys, I want to read a quick excerpt from my journal. This was written on May 27th, day before chemo started for me. Uh, and I say this I just never thought Cancer Survivor would be added to my bio. And to be honest, I don't know for sure that it will. But I do know that God loves me and that no matter what happens, I belong to Him. You see, when you're connected to Jesus, storms can't take you out. Sure, they might take you out physically. But cancer can't kill me spiritually i know where i'm going storms if you allow them can shape you can can actually amplify the fact that god is near and if you'll let it it will create purpose in your life that may be used years down the road but it will be used if you're in a storm god is faithful and don't give up thanks so much You have a great week.